This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Exclusively on CBS All Access, a legend returns. I have a mission. There's not a hell of a chance for somebody to stop me. Patrick Stewart in Star Trek Picard, now streaming only on CBS All Access. Welcome to the Star Trek Picard podcast. I'm Dominic Patton, Senior Editor and Chief TV Critic for Deadline Hollywood. And today, well, we're on Episode 7 of the 10 episodes of Season 1 of Star Trek Picard. And I think you're going to see this is where things really start to take a turn towards the end, or rather, the beginning of Act 3. To that end, joining us today, we have showrunner Michael Shabon, as well as VFX supervisor Jason Zimmerman, giving us a look at what went into the story and what went into making that story hit the screen. This is Commander Deanna Troy, Dr. Soji Asher. Just Soji. Long story. Dad! What? Come out here! Stop yelling! Pause music. Say again! Hello, Will. Oh, oh man. So, Michael, this episode, which is is now episode seven, which, of course, as I know many of you know, uh, dropped uh, almost 12 hours ago on CBS All Access. So, as we always say, if you uh, if you haven't watched the latest episode of Picard, uh, you might want to hit the pause button now, come back later after you have, and that way you won't be so surprised, shocked, or outraged by the various spoilers that we're about to drop as we talk about it. Michael, we've now gone well over the halfway point with this 10-episode first season um, when we last spoke to you, was uh, we were talking about the premiere. For your perspective, um, where is it at? And how do you feel about the show as it's evolved over these seven episodes so far? Where is the, where is the show at this point yeah. in terms of the characters and yeah. the Yeah, in terms of how, where you wanted and, it to be and where you saw it going. I know um, in some ways, I think from the beginning, as soon as we started to conceive of what became the episode Nepenthe, we always viewed it as to a certain degree, a kind of pause or respite. Um, 
And, you know, we had all the elements in play by this point. Um, a, a significant, the entire mystery has been laid out in all its particulars. It hasn't been resolved yet. That's coming. But it has all been laid out. And uh, the players, um, the, the sort of um, anticipated meeting of Soji and Picard has now taken place. And at that point, it felt like we wanted to give things a chance to sort of um, settle. And as soon as that notion was in our minds, I think out of that just naturally grew organically this idea of a planet, the Penthe, that is itself sort of intended to be a place where, where people would go to recharge or to, um, to find some kind of healing. And out of that idea emerged this whole notion of, hey, let's have uh, the Riker-Troy family be living there. And well, why would they be living there on this particular kind of planet? And out of that grew the idea that they had built a family in the intervening period since the last time we saw them uh, when they were getting married. And... Um, uh, Which I thought was a very nice. I mean, we 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 had Jonathan in for a previous podcast, and 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 he and Akiva told us this great story about how you guys hired him as a director, and Jonathan's a pretty established director. Yes. He's done Discovery and a ton of different stuff. Yes. Know, always working, and and then realized like, oh my god, he's here. We have to we have to have this as a part of this, and and I wanted to get a sense from you when I watched the episode when Jonathan and Sir Patrick are together. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain pivot points in Picard that we all as fans want to see mm-hmm. and then as storytellers want to know. Mm-hmm. Of course, the big lead up to, to Patrick saying engage mm-hmm. and a few other things like that. Mm-hmm. But this was so touching. Well, I mean, it, I will say when you when you see them together, not just those two, but all the legacy cast members from TNG, um, when, they are, when they're on the set, when they're on location – even if it's not, even if it's the second or third day that they've been together, but especially on those first moments when they were reuniting to work together again, it it is incredibly touching. It's incredibly moving. They love each other, and they're they really are friends. And they, you know, they've all, um, I think you could say they've all worked hard because it can be hard to sustain. You you get so close, you get close on the set of a movie shoot or you know a TV show shoot, but to work together all those years, they became incredibly close. And yet time and distance have scattered them and you know it could have been easy for them to maybe let go of each other, but they have it at all. They and uh, so just to see the intensity of the affection and the friendship between these people um, is it is really moving. I think inevitably, I think in seeing Patrick with Jonathan, it, it was very hard not to think it's not just that we want to see the character Riker and the character Picard back together. We want to take these two men who so clearly love each other and love to work with each other and get some of that energy out there on the screen. Talking about energy on the screen, Jason, uh, this is your first time joining us on the podcast. So yes. thank you for being with us. Um, <clears throat> Jason, you are kind of a, you're the visual effects overseer of all things in the Trekverse now. Yes. So I wanted to get a sense. Is there, as you deal with individual shows, and, and pardon me if I'm kind of pausing a bit, I want to phrase this properly. Is there a different palette for every show? And how do you find that look and find that that texture that you want to really make this thing blow big? Because all of the all of the new Trek shows look big. Yeah, they feel they feel big. Certainly, when we're working on them. There, there's there's definitely, I think, an attempt for each to have its own 
uh, visual personality. I mean, that's something that, you know, I know Alex and Michael and Akiva, you know, spoke with Philip, our DP about for a long time, sort of developing the look of the show. Um, and, and, and having it be something unique. And I think a little bit different from discovery, you know, discovery has a certain look and I think a certain action to it and a certain scope and scale, um, that is different from this show, this show, you know, first of all, being more planet-based like the episode we're talking about now, I mean, there's a lot more opportunities to sort of build worlds as it were, as opposed to just, you know, more spacescapes. Um, but, but, you know, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think the show is different tonally from a story perspective, mm-hmm. very much so. I, and as such, you know, it's our job in visual effects as much as it can be a spectacle. Sometimes, um, the job is to tell the story first and foremost. Right. And now, Michael, for you as showrunner and, and, and on, on a show where, you know, I, and I, you and I have talked about this and I know even one of the things I think is beautiful about Picard is that there are these very intimate relationships led by a clearly incredibly talented actor in Sir Patrick and ver- and a number of very talented actors from Allison and 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 Michelle and others who are newly to this and then of course bringing back legacy characters um but there also is as you guys all talked about when we were at Comic-Con last summer, like, this is going to be something. This is going to be, this is not going to be two aliens and maybe you see the string hanging from beneath. This is going to really look. And Jonathan, when he was here with us, he talked about that. He's like, hey, look, next gen might have looked great. But, you know, now when you look at it, it it shows some of its age. Some of the paint's cracking, for lack of a better way. This looks huge in terms of visual effects. But what is that like for you working with Jason, working with his department and working with that sense of, where your imagination narratively can go with what this story it, is. What it is, it is miraculous working with Jason and his team. Um, and, well, and, we're going to stop the podcast there. I mean, that's pretty clear. <laughs> well, like, well, that's pretty Jason, so you with the Thanks, <laughs> when, when I say miraculous, I mean like you are down on your knees praying for a miracle and then it happens. Mm. That's what I mean by miraculous. Like, you know, uh, um, we had an incredibly gifted production designer, uh, set decorator, prop properties master, um, all of these people who um, who brought everything they had to creating sets and locations that that would would embody the kind of things that are described. And, and in, people in who the often, scripts those below the line people often get overlooked in the in the magnificence of what create these shows. However, there's this, you know, in the era before VFX or when VFX weren't even called that and they were in a very crude state um, that involved just like overlaying sort of little animated squiggles on top of things to be phaser beams or what or what have you on the original series um, well that's pretty scathing in that era well, <laughs> the whole we've of the all seen the, no, I said the original series that's the 60s we're talking the, the rubber suit era and the you know where you, you see these process shots of, but but there's a thing that can happen even after all of those great artists have done their work that takes it to, 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 that makes it when you look at it on screen seem that you're, you're looking through a window into the future. Um, and that's what Jay Z and his team do. They just bring that, that it's convinced, they make it convincing on a level that, um, you know, I'm, I'm astonished because I spend, you know, if you're working on the story, if you're in, in editorial, you you see it over and over and over and over again in its un unfinished form with the VFX in it, either no VFX or very crude VFX, you know the the preliminaries. Yeah. Um, and I've had the experience with almost every episode this season of not seeing it for a while and then seeing it when these guys have completed their work and it just takes your breath away. My jaw dropped when I saw, you know, I saw the Okay, so, so on that, I'm gonna, we have to play a game of favorites now. Okay, so we're at episode seven 
as where we are right now, and I know you guys are in the process of getting the finale in its final form in its various ways, the season one finale, what do you think, start with Jason, because he's the maestro, what is the the best VFX, I like to call it a display in some ways as opposed to effect, because I think it's I think it, it gives it the, the respect it deserves, that has happened so far in the series. I think the most rewarding thing we've worked on has been the board cube, both the interior Yay, and, I won the bet. and the exteriors. <laughs> just just because it's it's something that it's it, it's it's been a challenge to bring to life because it's gigantic. It's massive and you're seeing it in space. And it's dilapidated. And it's which dilapidated. is yeah. hard to do. It is. And 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 how do you display that scale, right? In space, sometimes you don't have the geography to really say how big something is or is not. Mm -hmm. So how do you spatially show the relationship mm -hmm. between the La Serena and the cube mm -hmm. and all these different things and get a sense of scale and scope and all that stuff. So I think, and, and both interiors and exteriors, I think present the same challenges and opportunities to really like make it so much bigger. Like he was alluding to when you're seeing them in the edit and you see just a blue screen. Yeah. Even I, as the visual effects supervisor know what can go back there. And I'm like, Oh, it's, you know, it's just, it's a blue. You don't, you, you have to start seeing the shots progress. And then the first time you see the gray shade, you go, Oh, Okay, it's it's really it's actually a kilometer and a half mm -hmm. deep behind them. You know, that there's something that just as it develops, seeing that come to life has been really rewarding. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I was about to say, uh, you know, I was watching for months Patrick and and Jonathan Delarco standing on this sort of a gangway set um, that looked really cool. When you were on the set, it looked cool, but it's tiny. I mean, compared to a board cube, the interior of a board cube, and. Uh, then when I saw, and then I went to see the Rise of Skywalker when that came out in mm -hmm. whatever that December, and I lo I loved the broken Death Star set in that. And when you're in the interiors of that, and I at that point I still had only seen very preliminary things, and I was like, oh man, I wish our board cube could look like that. And then when I saw what they had done, I I think I like what what these guys came up with as much as if not even more than. The interior of that broken Death Star, I think it's just spectacular. Where have you hidden Picard and the Synth? I said, tell me where I can find Picard and your little protege. We know you let them into Subsector 11 and that only you returned. The bodies of four heavily armed guards were afterward found in subsector 11, and that will definitely be my second question, but for now, please answer the first. They're gone. And what was their destination? I strongly advise you do not say you don't know. And also, I think one thing that works too is because you guys go there with the Borg, which was, you know, I think a hope of many people when Picard was announced that that would be a part of it because that that storyline is so iconic and so long lasting because him, like Jerry Ryan, Seven of Nine and others, there's an embeddedment. It's the it's the overlap of trauma or however you want to describe it. But what happened to John Luke is always going to be a part of him through his life. And as, as we've seen in this series, um, but I. I wanted to also, when we talk about that, and you mentioned Jonathan, this, we see the death of Hugh yes. in, in, in today's episode. Mm -hmm. um, is this the last time we're going to see Hugh? Well, it is Star Trek. You never know, certainly. Because um, you're in the process of, you're, you're working on season two. You're writing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, we're working uh, on season two. I will not say anything <laughs> about that, um, but uh, you never know, certainly. Now, what is that? I mean, Tasha Yar died. Yeah. She came back. And, in and various people, ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, can you give us a sense of, and I, I, I actually don't want any spoilers, but I want to give a sense of um, where things are kind of at in terms of the writing of two and, and, and how you're feeling about it. 
Uh, well, there are a lot of monkeys in season two. So we're going to have a big cast of various kinds of monkeys. Um, Is this like a Wizard of Oz I thing? Uh, I, can't, I can't really go into any more that? detail. You can't but... confirm Wizard of Oz monkeys? Or... <laughs> are, are they flying monkeys? or are they hovering yeah. monkeys? Um, uh, we're... We, we're um, the the season is broken and which is a good thing, um, uh, and uh, uh, and I'm and we're and I'm writing working on I'm going to be writing two of the episodes uh, for that season and I'm at work at those and um, yeah we're we're heading into the writing portion of season two. Let's talk a little bit about the writing of this episode of episode seven, which you sure. wrote with Samantha uh, Humphrey. Mm-hmm. Um, for your process, of course, you know, many people know you as a, we always love to say it, Pulitzer, winning, Pulitzer Prize winning author, which which well-deserved. I mean, you're a brilliant writer. Um, but writing for television and and co-writing with people, what is that process like for you? And 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 is that, because, of course, you're also in the dual run role in this season of being showrunner, too. Right. Um, well, it varied from episode to episode. Um, a lot of the episodes were written collaboratively, but the and but even having said that, the nature of the collaboration varied from episode to episode. No, interesting. So some, uh, uh, mo- I think most frequently it was in the form of trading drafts. Um, one writer writing a draft, then usually me, the showrunner, rewriting the draft. Or um, sometimes uh, there'd be intervening stage there with Akiva doing a draft and then after the first writer and then me um, doing a, a revision. Um, usually there'd be even once we got to that stage, there'd be multiple. And well, that's part, that's part of it too, because you've got Akiva, who you know, Oscar-winning writer. You've got Alex, uh, clearly uh, Alex Kurtzman, clearly the executive producer and master of all things Trek First right now on, on CBS All Access. A lot of cooks. Well, it's not. Yes, I mean, it's we have. I'd say we have a deep bench, and um, we so diplomatic. <laughs> we we. Uh, you know, I think the important what you're looking for ultimately is a consistency of tone. So even though we had all these we have all these great writers and they wrote great scripts, there's an important step that has to happen where um, the showrunner who is ultimately is in control of the tone of the show. Um, and, and, you know, I would go through the scripts looking for with an eye to, um, you know, is Picard speaking the way that Picard speaks on this show? And by the way, when I say that, that in itself is, a, is something that comes out of um, dialogue with Sir Patrick. Like Sir Patrick was ultimately always the sort of arbiter of like, would Picard say this or would he say it that? Well, way? I know because I mean, he's an executive producer on the right. season and I know he takes that job very seriously of like, I mean, he is, as, as I think you told me once, like, if you have a question about what would John yeah, Picard, yeah. good. So, you can ask someone. But with the other characters, with the way Rafi talks, with the way that uh, Rios talks, you know, to go through and make sure everyone, and Gerardi, she has a very particular way of speaking, that also did emerge through working, you know, with, with in partnership with Allison Pill. Um, so from that point of view, there always has to be sort of a last pass that goes through the hands of the showrunner, whoever the showrunner is. And um, uh, so... Um, with the um, episode seven, it was it was more the the typical pattern of um, the writer wrote a draft and then I took a whack at it. Um, one of the things about this episode is, and, and we we talk about it earlier today, is you know there are a lot of legacy characters, a lot of legacy characters in this episode. For instance, Jonathan, Marina, um, and and by the way, I just want to say not a legacy character, but I I can't get enough of Peyton List. I mean, she's she is so great, yeah, and, and like I agree. like so great. I agree. Um, but we see she 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 acted her way 
into the role on the show that she How has. In other words, that we we had, you know, we were still um, uh, evolving the later episodes of the season when we were starting production or pre-production on the on the first episode, first couple episodes. So, you know, when we we heard her at the table read for whatever the first episode she's in, too, I guess. Yeah. And um, uh, I mean, I'm sitting next to Akiva and we just turned to each other and and, and we had cast her. We liked what we, she had done before, but we, we just turned to each other and said, oh, my God, she's amazing. And as soon as we saw that and we saw also the chemistry that she had with Harry Treadaway, that 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 character of Nerissa just emerged as a more, much more important character in the season than we had originally. And, and extremely pivotal where you have her at this point in, in the season. But as we talk about legacy characters, having killing one off, you know, Jonathan's character, Hugh, was so beloved. And then when you brought him back, you brought him back in this this changing persona of almost like this link between the world of the Borg, the world of the Romulans and the Reclaimers and what have you. Why the decision? I mean, I, look, people die on TV shows all the time. And then, as you said, maybe they come back, maybe they don't. But to do that, having having done so much to introduce this character, why have it? Why have it? Uh, it came out of the story. It just seemed like that's what would happen. It's not like we brought Hugh back and said, let's bring back Hugh and kill him. Um, you know, we wanted to bring back Jonathan and and the character of Hugh um, because we had the need for that character. We had the need for an ex-Borg that could be working on, that could plausibly be the one who is in charge of this Borg reclamation project within the, the organization of the Romulan Free State. And, you know, we talked about possible ex-Borg characters besides, you know, Seven of Nine and Picard. And so, I mean, he was probably the first one whose name came up. And we thought, oh, that actually makes sense. That works. And then as we started to craft the story and we brought Nerissa and her her plans into it and, uh, you know, Elnor and his interactions with Hugh and and then bringing how, you know, how do we bring Seven back into the story? Um, the It just emerged out of the storytelling very organically. And it felt like, wow, that's actually what would happen given the circumstances. Jason, I want to end today's podcast by, by, by asking you this is, there are so many challenges in, a, in, in today's media landscape when it comes to VFX is there are huge expectations. Um, it's an ever evolving and ever and ever developing field and which people like Michael or, or directors or other people can like, why can't we have this? And there's often the answer is, well, because no one mentioned it before. But in fact, we could do that. I wanted to know from you is when you Talk to people about the show. When you, people tell you what they think of the show, what are the elements of it that you're most proud of in your own work? The elements I'm most proud of? Um, I think particularly with Picard, I really like the invisible stuff that we're doing. And I mean, I say invisible. Obviously, when you see the exterior of the Borg cube, you're aware that it's visual effects. But I think, you know, some of the set extension stuff that we're doing where it's, you know, we're not making this giant kilometer and a half space, but we're just adding, little, you know, little touches to things to help aid in the storytelling. I think it's... It's fun to do that stuff. I mean, of course, I enjoy doing the big visual effects and the spectacles and the space battles like we did in Discovery. But there's something fun about doing, you know, like the establishers of different planets um, and just trying to make them look and push them as far as you can to make them look photoreal so that when you're watching, it just helps tell the story. Here's where we are. And now we're going to cut inside and, and we're going to start with the scene. And so I think be, being able to, to help establish those worlds and do it in a way that, that actually contributes to the story is, is a lot of fun. Now, speaking of contributing to the story, you guys are going to be joining us for next week's podcast. So on that. Thank you very much for today. Thank you. 
Well, that's a wrap on today's Star Trek Picard podcast. Thanks for listening, as always, to, as I like to say, the Star Trek Picard podcast. As you know, and as I've said week after week, you can listen to this podcast every week also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like getting your podcasts. See you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.